Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam and my good buddy co-host here, Atkins, is also live. How you doing today, man? I am doing well. I'm glad that we're finally getting to the end of season three because, I mean, t- technically, as we're recording, season four is already out, but it's also kind of right around the corner for the show for, for the AMP, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's a milestone. We're only going to be like two weeks away or two weeks, I guess, out of uh, commission because we've right now, I mean, we're kind of giving away how far ahead we're recording, but uh, we've got two episodes of season four out. So this is releasing next week and we'll have uh, the following episodes to record and be ready for you. And then I guess we're going to have to take like a week long break or so. Maybe go, you know, an episode every two weeks, right? Yeah, we'll have to figure out a new production schedule because we, we like the format of the podcast. We like two episodes at a time. We like not getting ahead. Um, and it would be, I think a little bit more taxing than you or you or, or I could actually afford with our day jobs to try to get a one episode per week thing done without missing ever, um, <laughs> while the season's going on. So I think yeah, we're no probably going to stick with what we've, what we've done. Um, so everything will feel the same. It'll, it'll just be bi-weekly instead of every week. But you know, we, we were really only doing the every, every week thing to catch up. So, yeah, that's true. Well, and you know, I wonder with season four coming around, I haven't looked at how many episodes there's going to be, but it would be, you know, just like AMP fashion to have two episodes. And then of course, for the season finale, have three, just like we do today. Cause today we're covering episodes 61, 62 and 63, right? That is correct. All the way through the end of season three. Yeah, man, those are some good episodes. Uh, I'm glad that we watched those three together. Um, I got to admit, though, like, I don't know, I feel like the last two seasons we've had these epic season finales, and this one was good, but there was no real big, like, cliffhanger, or I guess the cliffhanger that was there wasn't like, I don't know, no one's in peril, nothing crazy's happening. It just kind of felt like, meh, like, I'm happy season four is already here for us, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, season three's ending might not have had a crazy cliffhanger, but it did have a very definite turn the page feel to it. Like, Hey, there's this new chapter. We're moving on. Things are changing. Um, and I, I mean, I could appreciate that. It still had me really excited to start watching this season four stuff. So yeah, definitely. And if anything, I'm, I'm more excited to see some of the new characters that they've introduced. Uh, I really like Togata from uh, season four, I guess the end of season three. Uh, but before we can jump into that, man, let's start off with episode 61 and get these folks caught up. Yeah, episode 61, Deku versus Kachan part two. And it, it is exactly, it went almost exactly how I thought, how I think I said it might last episode where I was like, Midori is going to try to backpedal out of this and Kachan or Pakigo is just going to like punch him in the mouth and then they're actually going to fight. And I think it's almost exactly what happens. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to wheel back a little bit and apologize because I was pretty convinced that it was not going to happen that way. And uh, that's exactly what happened, man. I mean, they actually laid down, they threw out this fight. It was an awesome episode. Uh, I expected them to have some sort of like, I don't know, villain interrupted or something. I don't know, but it didn't happen that way. So I'll take that one back. It didn't happen that way. And I'm going to preface all that we're going to talk about for episode 61 with, with a, a bold new statement. Episode 61 is now the best episode of My Hero Academia. It is That's interesting. It has trumped the stain episode that we really dug it trumped the fight with muscular which i think was my next favorite one this episode 
just totally does everything for me. It hits all the action notes. It does a whole lot for character development, in my opinion. Maybe some of the best character development work that we've seen in the entire series is done in this episode during a fight, which is even crazier to me. But let's 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 start walking our way through this because there there's a whole lot to cover. I think of the three episodes that we're trying to cover today, episode sixty one has the most meat on it on its bones um, because there's so much to talk about just between the fight and. Uh, the discussions that take place during and then shortly after the fight with All Might. Yeah, it's definitely one that's got a lot happened in it. I mean, you you nailed it whenever you said there's a lot of fighting happening, but there's a lot of story and development in the midst of that fight. I mean, it, it was pretty amazing how well they were able to to get that out during the middle of just a bunch of punches going back and forth. Yeah, so Bakugo, you know, calls Midori to task. He's like, hey, I'm pretty sure that you have All Might's power. I think we covered that at the very end of our last episode in episode 60 of the anime. And he he's just asking him, like, what, what part of you made All Might do what he did? I have to know for myself. And my note, my first note for this was, it wasn't combat. Like, it wasn't because Midoriya fought anything that All Might selected him. But this is the training ground for Bakugo. You know, like I thought that that was a little strange because he knows it wasn't because Midoriya had any kind of battle prowess. Um, so I don't know. I guess that 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 part felt possibly a little strange to me. But it's Bakugo's language, right? This is how he understands where he fits is through through physical strength. Yeah, and it seems like in, in at least in the English version, they also talk a lot about how Bakugo was wondering, you know, like did Midoriya look up to All Might more than Bakugo did? You know, he's like, you know, did you look up to him more than I did? And that's why he chose you over me. So there's some level of did I not have enough respect or did I not have enough dedication to All Might as well? That's one of my favorite parts of all of the discussion of this episode is Bakugo is trying to figure out why not me? Why didn't All Might pick me? Um, and he is super frustrated with that. And he's fighting not only that sentiment of why not me, but also why me? Um, why was it me who ended up bringing the end of All Might? So he's, he's struggling with some survivor's guilt in this. Um, it is, we get to see a lot of Bakugo's psychology, which it's really easy to think that he just wears it all on his, on his sleeves all the time because of how aggressive and verbal that he is. Um, but I think we see well past a lot of that in this episode. It's so good. Episode yeah. 61 so stinking good. Oh, yeah, it is. It is really good. I've, I've watched it three times now because I watched it uh, once on my own to take notes with my wife. And then again, uh, before we started recording today. And I love it, man. It's great. Uh, I won't say that it's become my favorite like for you. But the amount of story that they get out for Bakugo here is amazing. Uh, and, and somewhat for Midoriya as well. I mean... Midoriya, like you had mentioned, he tries to backpedal his way out of this. And of course, Bakugo doesn't let him. He is going to make him fight this time around. And it's interesting because there's this moment where Bakugo is actually knocked back by Midoriya and Midoriya tries to help him up. And even Bakugo is like, dude, come on, like fight back. And, and this is when Midoriya decides to like, okay, it would be disrespectful to not fight back like this. This isn't about winning or losing for Bakugo. This is just about where we stand kind of. Um, I've got in my notes that this is this is church for Bakugo. You know, like he needed mm. this therapy session. Yeah, I, I have in my notes that at, there's this point in the fight where Midoriya decides that he's going to engage for the sake of Bakugo. Like Bak he realizes that Bakugo needs this in, uh, at some level. And so he's like, all right, well, let's let's do this for you. Like this is, again, um, you know, fairly self-sacrificial on on behalf of Midoriya, 
Um, and, and during this whole fight, which is amazing, like the, it, I'm, I'm looking at the manga right now and it, you know, it's all well illustrated and whatnot, but the fight is so dynamic and explosive and just, it's animated very aggressively. I would say even like oh, the yeah. line work is very heavy, um, in, in the anime, it is, it is eye candy. And while you're watching the beauty of this fight take place, um, during the, during the show, Again, there's just so much good uh, just dialogue between these two guys. I mean, Baka goes like, why did I end up having to chase after the back of somebody who's, who was always behind me? Why was I the one who ended All Might? Um, you know, why, why not me? What did he see in you? I have to know. I mean, it's all of this stuff, and it's so good. And then Midoriya gets his, he has his moments of good dialogue as well, where he's looking at Bakugo, and he's like, of all the things, even with all the stuff that I hated about you, I saw all the amazing, amazing things that you could do, and you were much closer to to me uh, than All Might was. That's why I kept chasing you. I mean, he's still paying that, and he's done this from the beginning, really. But it's it's always nice to hear him kind of verbalize this, right? Um, that he has had a tremendous respect for Bakugo. That Bakugo is one of the reasons why Midoriya aims to be better um, as a hero and as a as a quirked individual. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's even a moment here where Bakugo claims that Midoriya has always looked down on him, and Midoriya has to set him straight. He's like, dude, no way. Like, I have only ever looked up to you. I think he, you, you've kind of touched on it. He mentions, like, you know, All Might was the hero on the TV. You were the hero sitting right next to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty heavy. I'm like, man, like, he really has always had it out for Bakugo in a good way. You know, he's always had his back. And I've actually got in my notes that I think subconsciously Bakugo knew that he needed his best friend, like the one guy that was always there for him no matter what. Like Bakugo's been nothing but a jerk to this guy his entire life, and yet he's always been there for him. And I think he knows that on like a very low level, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and he's he's struggling, like I said, with some survivor's guilt. I mean, he's like, if only I had been stronger, then this all this none of this would have happened to All Might. So he's he's carrying a lot of baggage. Um, and up to this point, we haven't seen any of that because he's very stoic and doesn't express himself anywhere in the anime like he does in this episode. Speaking of Bakugo, like he's, he's frustrated, he's vulnerable, he's angry and not at another person, but with himself. Yeah. Um, he's kind of having this big self-reflection moment this entire episode. Definitely. And man, he is just straight taking it to Midoriya too. I mean, yeah. he's just straight whooping butt on Midoriya. Oh man, it's incredible. And, and there's even a point where Midoriya mentions that he is moving so quickly. He's not giving him any time to react or plan any next move. He's just, he's just basically acting on instinct and he's trying to, you know, get out from under Bakugo for two seconds and he can't. Yeah. And in the midst of this and in response to that, I would guess, um, Midoriya, raises his cowling from 5% to 8 and it's out yeah. of it's out of necessity born in this moment where Bakugo is just being relentless but it's also a cool moment for Midoriya where he's he's able to self reflect yeah I've gotten stronger yeah this, he, this he levels up a little bit yeah. yeah yeah it was really cool because he he's mentioned in how he's like subnormal is 5% but all of a sudden he can feel that he's up to 8% and it makes me wonder like I would love to see uh like a heads up display from Midoriya where you know it's like on one of his uh suits or something where his like cowling percentage <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be cool or like a bar like a LED bar yeah. that's built into the like the chest somewhere where you could tell oh, just yeah. how much power he's trying to pull on yeah, that would be pretty cool, especially since he doesn't power up like what you and I are used to, at least in Dragon Ball Z. You know, they have to concentrate and like focus their key or whatever. This was just instantaneous. I mean, there was no thinking about it. It just happened. So I thought that was pretty neat. 
Yeah, I mean, it even shocks Bakugo because he's like, uh, you weren't that fast a second ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And it, this is, gets into some really incredible fighting, too, where, you know, Bakugo is pulling a lot of his traditional techniques and Midoriya is trying to outthink them. Like, oh, well, he's done that before and I've caught him before, so he's not going to do that anyways. And Bakugo mentions, like, man, your your number one problem is you overthink everything. And he's just going for the old tried and true. And he's knocking Midoriya left and right, man. It's so incredible. Yeah, there's this, my, my favorite scene from this particular fight, it's not anywhere in the manga, actually. Like, it's not depicted. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not depicted the cool way in the manga like it is in the uh, in the anime episode where there's this moment where they both rush at one another, past one another in turn, and Midoriya kicks at Bakugo's face and it misses him, but the, like, lightning arcs between his foot and Bakugo's face before Bakugo just blasts Midoriya away. But that scene or that shot of Midoriya's foot like slow, in slow motion traveling within like an inch of Bakugo's face and little lightning fingers. Oh, yeah. I like was like, that is so dope. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it, was it so looks cool. so cool. I was actually, I've got that in my notes, but I was, I was surprised that that electricity didn't ignite his sweat because his, you know, he can ignite his sweat. It's nitroglycerin. I was surprised that that amount of electricity wouldn't have ignited the sweat on his face and like basically had a small mini bomb go off in his face. (laughs) Yeah. That would have been a crazy combo. This leads us into probably my favorite moment here where Bakugo is going in uh, and he's trying to defend an attack from Midoriya and Midoriya's got the high ground, you know. And he's about to slam his foot down. And at the last second, he like pulls an audible and just throws a punch and, and makes the mention like, you know, just because I shouldn't use my arms doesn't mean I can't use them. And totally takes Bakugo, you know, for surprise for a second. And at first I was like, oh man, this is crazy. But at the last second, Bakugo pulls a reversal and just slams him into the ground. And he's got like his, uh, like his knee in the back of his neck. And I mean, just totally has him pinned. It was a, it was a pretty incredible scene here. Yeah, he manages to get with where Midoriya is below him, and then he raises a hand and just blasts the both of them straight down. And Midoriya, of course, is like the landing pad for Bakugo in that particular move. So, and and then of course Bakugo's on top. He's he's. I don't know that I'd be willing to say that he's like one because I think if All Might didn't show up on the scene, it might have gone on longer possibly Um, because it wasn't like a KO or anything, but. Bakugo's sitting on top of Midoriya, and he's like, even with that power, even if you made it your own, you still lost to me. And he's like, why did you lose? I mean, he's, he's frustrated. He's like, he, Bakugo expected to lose to Midoriya. Like, there's some part of him that was like, I need to lose this fight almost for, for, for this to make sense to me. And he's even more frustrated by the fact that he's still able to best Midoriya, who now he knows is in possession of All Might's power. Um, so that was a cool moment as well, where he's just like, why, why did you lose? Like, how do, you, how do you lose when you have the number one hero of all time's power? You know, how are you still like this? Yeah, I think he even mentioned something like, you know, you had the number one hero pave the way for you and you still lost. And it's interesting. I had a lot of thought here about Bakugo because we know that he has looked up to All Might his entire life, just like Midoriya has. And yet it seems like he has forgotten a lot of what All Might stands for. I mean, we know that All Might is a symbol of peace. He's the guy that always shows up with a smile on his face. Bakugo knows these things. And it surprises me that he's not more like the hero that he wants to overcome. Like all he sees is what you mentioned, which is like physical prowess, which he knows he is a great fighter. And I think you're right. He was looking to lose so that way he could feel validated that he wasn't chosen. And so when he doesn't, you know, lose, he's like, well, then I should have been chosen. 
Because he doesn't seem to realize that there's more to being a hero than just being a really good fighter. And I think that this is what you're talking about is what makes sense of some of the discussion earlier on where Bakugo is asking Midoriya, did I, did I perceive him incorrectly? Did I not worship him in the right way? Like, I don't remember exactly how he words it, but he's like, did I admire All Might or pieces of All Might that I shouldn't have? And for like during the flashbacks to when they're kids, it's always seen, it's always that same scene where Baka goes like, he wins no matter what one versus, you know, there's like that picture or the video of like him versus four guys. And he's like, he, he's going to win no matter what. Um, whereas the flashbacks for Midoriya are, you know, about him saving people with that smile on his face. And, right. and I think Baka goes like, well, which one of us is right? I mean, am I wrong for wanting to win every time at all costs because he chose you who who valued something possibly differently than I did in him. And I think that's part of the tension that the, that he's wrestling with here. Well, and I think that, you know, All Might gives him a pretty good answer here. Uh, so we, we have this moment where near the beginning of the fight, we see that this like robot alert Aizawa that there are children fighting. And so he gets woken up. I don't even think he's woken up. He's like working on the yeah, computer or something, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. Uh, not like, I don't know. Aizawa and paperwork are not two things I ever expected to see, you know? So he's alerted to this and he's of course freaking out and he gets up to leave and All Might stops him. So All Might tells him like, hey, look, I, this is my fault. Let me go take care of it. He shows up on the scene and he pretty much tells Bakugo that, you know, the whole reason he chose Midoriya is because he was the, you know, the one that was heroic every single time. Uh, and I thought that was kind of interesting because Bakugo even replies back with like, oh man, that's not what I wanted to hear, you know? And All Might says something here that I really liked uh, because Bakugo is kind of spilling his guts to him and All Might just says, you know, sometimes I forget that you're children. And mm-hmm. it's true. Like we watch this show and we, we've even brought it up several times. Like you got to remember these are 14, 15, 16 year old kids that we're watching, you know? And it's it, even the adults in the show forget that it sometimes, and it, it's incredible. Like they are trying to be adults and they're just kids. Yeah. There's, there's so much good discussion here in this moment, specifically between all might and Bakugo. There's also a really funny moment that I just have in my notes where I have that. It's cute how the boys finish each other's sentences because all might is walking towards them and Bakugo says all, and then Midoriya's like might. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> nice. Um, but All Might is trying to explain to Bakugo, he's like, listen, Midoriya was powerless, that he was more heroic than anyone else on the scene, talking about that sludge monster fight very early on in season one. He says, you were already able to compete. And Bakugo's response to that was, I'm weak too, you know, and I always wanted to be strong like you. Yeah. Um, and again, I think that emphasizes his perspective, his understanding of, of what All Might brought to the table was indomitability. Um, physical indomitability. I think Midoriya, there's an argument that could possibly could be made that, you know, Midoriya thinks of a different kind of indomitability when it comes to All Might, a almost like a spiritual or an iconic kind of indomitability. And those two things go hand in hand. And this is something that All Might gets to explain to the two boys. He's like saving others like Midoriya or achieving victory like Bakugo. If either feeling is missing then a hero won't be able to carry out justice. Yeah, I mean, they're the two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah, so he's like, you admired his strength, talking to Midoriya about Bakugo, and he's talking to Bakugo about Midoriya here. He says, you feared his heart. He says, we need to work on making each other stronger, and then you can save people to win, and win to save people 
becoming the greatest heroes. And I have heroes in all caps because it's, it's not about who's going to be the new number one greatest hero singular. This, the language, especially of season three, has been about not about finding the next one, although that is in there some. Um, and here All Might says, you two can be the greatest heroes together. You're, you're, you guys can complement one another in a way that would make you, you know, more powerful, more effective, even than I was possibly even by myself. Yeah, um, I think you're totally right. You've hit the nail on the head when you said that season three has been more about uh, all of the heroes. You know, like, I think they've really focused on that multiple ways in, in throughout the entire season. This is not just about Midoriya anymore. You know, this is all about the friendship and camaraderie of class 1A and how they are becoming the greatest heroes together. Yeah. And so... You have Bakugo who, like you said, says, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. Um, <laughs> but he, he also is like, well, you know, who knows about you and Deku? And it's just like the principal and the nurse. And um, that's pretty much it, I think. Bakugo's like, well, I won't expose your secret. And it's not because I'm being considerate. It's just a stupid risk for people to just know um, what's going on. And All Might explains everything to Bakugo, like off screen, off panel. Um, and then Bakugo and Midoriya get into this like spat where they're both like, well, it doesn't change what I have to do. I have to become the hero that surpasses even you. And then Midoriya's like, well, I have to, I have to train harder so I can beat you. And he's like, but I said, I'm going to be the best super, you know, the best one, the strongest one. And they go back and forth. Um, and I think All Might, I don't remember if he says this out loud or is just being introspective, but he says, you know, now they're, they're proper rivals, you know, the, yeah. the and I, I like that. It's, they're rivals with a shared goal, which I think is more effective even than being rivals with opposing goals. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it's, it's even more than that. It's, it's rivalry with mutual respect. Because yeah. previously it was just, okay, I'm going to be better than you regardless of where you are in the world. Uh, you know, one of the things that Bakugo says to Midoriya is that he can learn from others just like Midoriya can. So I, I get the feeling we're going to see a whole new side of Bakugo where he is paying attention to the way other people do things and absorbing that information and then compounding on it with his own experience, you know? Yeah, and I also think that this bringing Bakugo into the know, like into the loop of what Midoriya is in possession of, I think that that creates a breeding ground for understanding and a new level of respect between the two of them. Um, and we've already seen, even here at the end of this, at the very end of this fight, Bakugo's plea, basically, I mean, his charge for Midoriya is, you have to be better than this, given what you have. And I think that Bakugo is going to play um, a big role in ensuring that Midoriya does everything that he can with what All Might has gifted him, specifically, possibly because Bakugo didn't get it himself. You yeah, know what I mean? No, I I totally agree. Absolutely. This is when they arrive back at the main uh, dormitories there, and Aizawa immediately starts to lay into him, and All Might, of course, steps in again, says it's his fault, and so I think Aizawa's kind of like, he kind of gets that this needed to happen, and that it was going to happen eventually anyway, so he he gives him quite a bit of slack here, man, because I can totally see him just being like, all right, you're done. Yeah, they they get thumped with, uh, like, house arrest. Um, Bakugo gets it for four days. Midori gets it for three. They have to, like, clean up and write a, an apology. And they're allowed to go see the nurse, but their injuries are supposed to heal on their own to teach them a lesson. And this is also means that they're kept out of class, um, like classroom or school life. So they, they're going to be behind the curve a little bit. 
My whole question during this whole thing, and we don't, I don't even think I get a satisfactory answer to this for the rest of this season, but where were the students during this fight? Like, I think they were all just sleeping. Because it was but, like in the middle of the night. But like a robot comes in and is like, hey, there's a fight going on. And they all heard about it. Uh, I just, I'm like, where, where was everybody? I would have been, if, if, if I would have had any indication that there was a fight going on, I'd have been running out there, right? I guess. But I was under the impression that where this fight took place, because it was in that uh, like gamma training alpha place or something. I can't remember exactly what it's called. But I was under the impression that it was 30, 45 minute walk away. Like, not that it was just next door that everybody could watch it or hear it or see it. Yeah. I assumed it was like uh, perimeter alarms that had notified the robot that notified the teacher. Like, I just assumed the kids didn't know about it until, you know, somebody sees All Might taking the two of them back in or either that or the next morning, you know, everyone's getting ready and they're like, oh, well, we can't go with you. Or, you know, I would imagine Aizawa would have to tell the, the class leader, Ida, who would then have to discipline them because Ida immediately, what, yeah. like, makes fun of them. He's like, oh, well, you know, you know we can't tell you anything about what a work study is because you are on house arrest. That's, <laughs> I, that's what I was going to say. It's probably for the best that Ida wasn't there or wasn't, you know, privy to what was going on because he would have tried his best to shut it down. It would have just gotten ugly from there. Because I think yeah. if anybody had showed up to try to stop them, that wasn't All Might. I, I think... Bakugo would have pressed the issue. Like, I think, oh, yeah. he, I think he would have gone at it anyway and removed any obstacles between him and this, this fight that he needed to have with Midoriya. So I, I totally agree. And you know, it, it obviously paid off at the end of this episode. There's an after credit scene where Bakugo and Midoriya are cleaning like the commons room. Like I think they're like vacuuming and like picking up trash and stuff. And Bakugo actually starts giving advice to Midoriya on his shoot style and yeah. you know, like how to improve it. So clearly you know, within a day at least, this is already paying off. I, I get the feeling they're going to be helping each other out a lot now, and I'm I'm interested in seeing how their relationship progresses from here on out. He gives a Bakugo compliment because yeah, it's very backhanded. Yeah, Midori is like, so what do you think about this? And the first thing that Bakugo does is be like, you know, you got to stop telegraphing your move. That's why I had so much time to react. And then he's like, and when you added punches into the mix, that just pissed me off. And that's what makes Midoriya smile, because he understands that is a Bakugo compliment. That's about yeah. as good as you're going to get from yeah. an, an upset Bakugo. Yeah, it was a pretty good episode, man. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Excellent admit, episode. Excellent episode. Yeah, but I got to admit, episode 62 is my new favorite episode. Really? Uh, this one, yeah. I thought this one was really well done. Like From the moment it started, I was entirely captivated. I, thought, I just thought the narrative in this episode was so good specifically the twice stuff yeah just mainly the twice stuff everything else just felt like a normal episode but the episode starts off with twice and he's just like hanging out in his apartment people watching and uh he tells us this it's been two weeks since all might fault all for one and it, i don't know this whole scene was just super reminiscent of the watchman and like hearing rorschach read his journals and i just i loved it i thought it was so cool it is uh, definitely a very cool episode and this this stuff actually takes place like much earlier in the manga yeah uh, so the, has it already shown up in one of the volumes? Thing. Yeah, so the twice, the little twice aside, if you want to call it that, or the, the focus on him at the beginning of episode 62, it, it actually takes place in volume 13 of the manga, and the fight between Midoriya and Bakugo resolves like well into volume 14. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Like they placed it, what was it right after? Let's see. It was right after um, the Kami reveal. That uh, Kami was Toga. 
Okay. Like the very next thing in the manga was this twice stuff. And so I didn't mention it because I was like, I don't know if they were just going to skip over that or what. But when it when that's I started watching, I was like, oh, hey, that's that's there. It's in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just in the wrong place. <laughs> well, I thought it was really neat because basically they're using twice as a plot device to get us caught up on what the villains are seeing from their perspective. And he's talking about how like basically the news is just covering everything about this and they're having a hard time accepting Endeavor as the new number one. Uh, and he makes a mention, you know, like even, I mean, living up to all my for anybody is going to be really hard, but Endeavor is not super cuddly. Like he's not really number one material just based off of his personality alone. And he said, instead of him being the symbol of peace, he's now the symbol of weakening heroes. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's a, that, that would be really hard for Endeavor who has wanted nothing but to be the number one hero his entire life for him to hear that. I can't imagine that he would like, that would just crumble your insides. You know what I mean? Yeah, twice is super insightful. Um, yeah, he's I mean, such he, a cool character. He may be my favorite villain. He is pretty cool. I mean, he at shortly after he mentions Endeavor being the symbol of the weakening of the hero heroes, he says, "I am here." Was reassuring that that phrase that All Might says, "I am here." He says that was reassuring to those who live normally, but it was a curse for everyone else. And I was like, "Dang, that's a good line," you know. Yeah. And it's and it's obvious. Like when you, as soon as he said it, he goes, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But you don't think about it. I mean, he's given, the the neatest thing about what is done with Twice here is it is a wholly villainous perspective on what, what has taken place up to this point. Um, where before this, we had to assume a lot about the villain's perspectives or we would catch snatches of it. Like when uh, Shigaraki was talking to Midoriya at the mall or All for One is talking to uh, All Might in prison little bits here and there but this is like a dedicated time where where twice as a villain is processing things not just like info dumping but he's working through some of this stuff yeah and and to add to that i think twice is the perfect villain to do it and and i say that because he's a neutral villain uh this is a little bit later on in the episode but he makes a comment about how the only reason he is with the league of villains is because they're the only people that accepted him uh, you know, he kind of breaks down his quirk, and I'm going to go ahead and get into that. He yes. he talks about how he makes clones, and then he can make clones from that clone, and he can basically duplicate anything at least up to twice. And he, you know, clones himself a whole bunch. He makes his clones do everything and treats them like, you know, he's their king. And then a bunch of those clones rebel, and they all end up killing each other. Like over the next, I think it's, he says 72 hours or something. Or no, sorry, it's actually nine days. They just kill each other. And so at the end of it, he's the only one alive. And he's like, you know, I'm not even sure if I'm the real me anymore. And he says, heroes only care about saving good citizens. And that kind of hits hard, man, because you're, you're thinking about it. And it's like, this guy is very mentally unstable. Like he has some serious issues that he's going to have to work through. He's not your typical citizen. You know what I mean? And he probably feels pretty abandoned by heroes in general because he's not your stereotypical citizen. So I think it's interesting that we're getting this perspective from a villain that has no other reason to be a villain other than he's an outcast because from Shigaraki or maybe even from Dobby where we're, we would hear a totally different perspective, I think. Yeah. And I think I, I'm not super well versed in all things X-Men and Marvel comics, but twice his backstory reminded me a lot of what I think is true of multiple man slash Jamie Madrox, who has a very similar power. He can create yeah. dupes of himself. Exactly. Yeah. And that's I, exactly what I was thinking. And I think that at some point during Jamie Madrox's story, he has a, an eerily similar, unless I'm just totally misremembering, but you know, where he is, he's not sure if he was 
if he's one of the dupes or slash clones or if he's the original. Nobody really knows. Um, but for Twice, it's really interesting because his the way his power works is, and we've seen this with, uh, you know, on Dobby, where if they take so much damage, then they just melt down into goo. Um, so Twice is worried he isn't the original, like you said, and I think he's afraid to test test himself. Like, he could potentially conceivably inflict enough damage on himself to be absolutely sure, but he doesn't want to for fear of what he might find out. Does that well, make sense? I don't sense? know, because it does, but in the English version, he specifically says that his his duplicates of other people can take damage, and then they just disappear. But his own clones, you have to straight outright kill them for them to disappear. Okay. But so still, I was under the... Oh, I, was under the, oh, I mean, the I only see. way for him to really find out is to just commit suicide in which case he would never know if he was the real one or not you know yeah i i thought let's see but maybe i, I thought his was it. still damaged too but i could be wrong but either way i mean I, I think that it's it's a really really well done backstory it just it smacked of things very familiar to me with uh madrox so yeah yeah no i was agree i was actually thinking the same thing but i couldn't remember who it was i was like this feels like an x-men storyline you know uh, but I thought it was great, man. I really liked it. Uh, and we get quite a bit of him. In fact, there's a bit where he's kind of walking around town and Girin, who is the villain broker, uh, calls his name is Babagara, is how I think you would pronounce it. Uh, and Girin is just talking about how there has been so much demand on the villain black market that he can't do anything but cry with delight because he's probably just making money out the wazoo. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I can't reach uh, Dobby, but uh, I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, you happen to know anything about where he might be. And Twice is now starting to argue with this other personality in his head. And Kieran is just like, all right, uh, we'll deal with you later. And he he hangs up. And then this is when he goes into this entire story of like basically his quirk and how it all worked. Um, and so it's interesting because he is talking about how there are all these new villains out that are not worried about being villains anymore. Like they're just these small time villains that are doing kind of small time crime. Like there's a quick scene where someone's robbed a, a quick, like a quickie mart. And I think they probably stole like three or $400 and a hero tries to stop them. And instead another villain pops up behind the hero and hits him over the head. And then, you know, five or six of these villains run off. And twice is kind of like, what's the point in that? You know, like you guys could band together and do something real. Instead, you're going to get enough for a couple tanks of gas and a dinner, you know? And so he's talking about how he's looking for the real villains, like the people that are going to contribute to the League of Villains. And he finds these really cool-looking Plague Doctor villains. I thought they were pretty neat. Yeah, and what's what's even interesting about that, especially in light of what you just said, is he finds these Plague Doctor mask-wearing dudes because they stop the small-time criminals um, who are like trying to run away. They actually bump into them and destroy them pretty much i mean like they're standing over their bodies when twice turns the corners aren't they yeah i'm pretty sure that they are standing like right there around the corner just about to dominate them so it's a they they look like uh like top tier villains you know what i mean like they look like they had a plan they were ready to do something there they're coordinated right they've got matching costumes at least there's a shared theme so you know that they're like all right these guys didn't just get together in a back alleyway somewhere and decide to you know go and and uh stir up a little bit of chaos or trouble. Yeah. I mean, they, they're organized and we find out a lot more about that going forward. Yeah. The plague doctor look is kind of funny to me because there's one that's like really big and has this massive plague doctor nose on him. And it's like that. I want to say that like, this character has got to be like seven foot, eight foot tall. 
It's like the uh, the mountain from, yeah. from Game of Thrones. If he had a plague doctor nose on it, it just I don't know. It looked hilarious to me. I do like the aesthetic, though. It, it definitely is very creepy. Yeah, it is super creepy. Uh, well, this is kind of the transition of going from the villainous perspective of this episode back into Midoriya's perspective. Uh, we transition back to him, and he's like training, testing out his arms, trying to make sure that there aren't any issues from his fight with Bakugo. And as far as he can tell, there's not any. Uh, we get a quick funny scene here where Monoma is like chastising 1A again because they had a bunch of people fail. Well, I say a bunch. They had two people fail in 1A. Apparently, everyone in Class B passed, which I thought was really shocking. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I was hope there was a part of me that was hoping Monoma had failed again just because it would be kind of a running joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's like, listen, uh, Class B, we're, 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 we've pulled ahead of you guys uh, because to, from their perspective, Class 1A's two best didn't pass uh, the True. test. But it's weird to me that Class 1B passed because there were some Class 1B characters that I was just kind of like, like, I don't know, even Monoma. I'm like, how did he pass? He had to have had a lot of support from the rest of Class 1B. And I feel like I honestly can't recall a single moment from any of the licensing exam, Part 1 or 2, where I saw any Class 1B characters, even in the background. Yeah, that's because they they, were testing on separate days, remember? That's right, that's right. Yeah, because they even make the mention of that like a couple episodes ago. They're like, yeah, we're not doing it at the same time because otherwise it would just be us versus us. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you reminded me of that because like, I just started running over all the footage in my brain. I'm going, how weird. They weren't even in the background They weren't somewhere. even there, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I could see Monomo just wanting to show up to totally mess with 1A. Like He wouldn't care if he got his exam. Like If he passed the exam, he just wants to make sure they don't pass the exam. Yeah. There's two really good beats of humor right here in this scene as well. The first one is like, Ida is trying to get everybody in one day to walk down the halls and he's like, keep in line. And uh, I don't remember who it was. Maybe Sarah was, says something like, you're the one who's not in line. And Ida just like hangs his head. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, that's the dilemma of the class rep. Like he's actually <laughs> torn over being uh, the line, the, the breaker of the line rule. Yeah, that was funny. I did like that. And then we're introduced to this, this character. I don't even remember if I caught her name, but it's this girl with horns. And yeah, I don't. I didn't catch your name either. So it says that her quirk is horn cannon. Like I did see that. It was like a like a little text splash or whatever. And I just have in my notes. I want to see that. But she's talking, and she looks like she she just looks very different from everybody, and she speaks very differently. It turns out that she's like a foreign exchange student. Oh, I feel like you've mentioned her before. And she have I? I feel like you had mentioned that there was a foreign exchange student in class 1B. Oh, well, this is definitely the girl because she looks okay. at class 1A and she's like, I'll beat you up so bad you won't be able to get back up. And everybody in 1A is like, the hell? Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. Kendo smacks somebody and was like, quit teaching her weird phrases. <laughs> and that made me laugh really good. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. And this is when we transition into this kind of weird like graduation scene. Like It's not graduation, it's just... Nezu up on stage and he's talking to all of the classes and he's addressing them about the upcoming semester. And it's really weird because there, so the scene, he starts off and he's given a quick speech and he's talking about how uh, the quality of his fur has declined because of all of the stress of running UA over the last semester. Right. And I was like, wow, that's encouraging way to go Nezu. But there's a moment here where the camera pans across a bunch of the students. And I'm curious if you caught this. Oh, yes, I did. There's I a exactly scene of Kaminari rubbing yeah. Ojiro's tail. Yes. I was like, what? My, like, I had to pause it and back it up because I was like, is that is that what's happening? And then I just said, yep, yep, that's what it is. My notes just say, why is Kaminari massaging Ojiro's tail? 
And more importantly, why is Ojiro seemingly totally okay with it? Right. Like there was no expression of like, hey, why are you touching me or anything? It makes me wonder if they do this often. Like, I don't know. It was just really strange. It was very strange. I'm glad that you picked up on it too. I mean, I was going to make us talk about it regardless. Yeah. Uh, but it was very odd. Yeah, it was it was so strange. I don't know. I did. It was like the least. Ex- I don't even know what Nezzy was talking about after that. That's the only note I have. <laughs> so I do think that Kaminari sits behind Ojiro in the classroom. Yeah, but that it, doesn't give him like I don't know any kind of qualifications to just rub his tail in front of everybody. I know, but <laughs> it might explain why there's like a certain like some, level of comfort about it. Like yeah, it's like not like the first time. There. Yeah. I, I, it's still super weird. Listen, I'm not downplaying it at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out a reason why it might be that way. I think, I really do think Kaminari sits immediately behind Ojiro in the classroom. And so maybe that tail is always in his face. And instead of, I don't know, using a fidget spinner, he just braids the hair at the end of Ojiro's tail or something. But can Ojiro also point with the end of that tail, though? Like, I feel like we have mentioned that before, that he can yeah. use the end of his tail like a muscle. So Yeah, I think I in our know. last episode, I, po- I talked about the fact that he pointed with, like, the fibers of his tail at one yeah. point during the provisional exam. And I was like, okay, that's a thing. That's new. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. There's that. That's where we are with those two. And that had me cracking up. That's well, uh, great. They- that Nezu starts talking about how they're going to have some hero work studies coming this semester, but he doesn't really go into much. Uh, and he asks Mr. Hound Dog, an extracurricular teacher, to get up and, and talk to the class. And this is another strange scene here because he just gets up and howls at everybody. <laughs> like, he just barks like a dog. And I, I don't remember who says it, but I have a note that someone says, does he forget human speech when he's angry? <laughs> I mean, he's got a muzzle on and everything. So even better than being an extracurriculars teacher, Hound Dog is the official guidance counselor. I didn't look that up. That's insane. It's true. It's, I mean, if this wiki is true at all, that's, it's a hundred percent true. He's listed as guidance counselor. I, my mouth is open. Like I can't, <laughs> I, that was so unexpected. I did not see that coming. Could you imagine like going to him with a problem with another student and just being like, I need help. Can you peer mediate this? And he's just like, <laughs> is growling and foaming at the mouth. Or like the bully brings a tennis ball and then he just leaves you alone and you get picked on. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, I, like it goes so bad so many ways. It was so strange. Yeah. I just thought that that was the perfect like choice for a guidance counselor. I was like, because <laughs> it's the most ridiculous choice. It's the perfect choice. Somehow well, that I works. A dog is a man's best friend, right? So maybe that's supposed to work okay, that okay. way. I don't know. I like how we keep trying to find like in world uh, like headcanon reasons for things like why Kaminari would massage Ojiro's tail and why the dog man would be the uh, guidance counselor. And some well, of the these thing- actually make sense to well, me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like there's so many things in this world that are just so out there and that none of the characters in the show seem to react to at all. So we, like, I, in my mind, I just have to find these like in canon reasons or headcanon reasons, you know? Yeah. Like the, the random cat person that had a bell around its neck. Then and the the dog police officer like there are very clearly animal hybrid human things out there that no one seems to be concerned about at all and it's <laughs> sure. not like it's been explained to us if they're quirks or if they're animals like Nezu because Nezu is an animal you know like he was just tested on yeah I do feel like they went out of their way with Nezu to say that he was like an anomaly like right. that he wasn't the he wasn't the rule he was a very very specific exception to that rule so i do think that what we're seeing are people that have these weird animal quirks like the shark man who chewed through his tuba or his uh, scuba tubes all the time right 
I don't know. I just in my head, I have to make up reasons for why. Because if, yeah. if they reacted to it in a weird way, then I'd be more comfortable. I'd be like, okay, right. that makes sense. Like they're even they are kind of weirded out by this, but because they're not, I'm like, okay, it has to be because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So we we that's kind of the end of that. They just had like a miniature like school meeting thing where everybody had to stand at attention. Um, we do go back into a classroom setting. Aizawa again mentions this work study program. Um, but then it's like time for English. So present Mike comes in and he is super excited about some English, but he's always cranked up to 11. Yeah. Um, it's jam in, time. It's not English. Yeah. And then we go to, uh, back to the dorms and Bakugo and Midoriya both hear everybody talking about what happened in English and what happened at the big meeting and all this stuff. And they're really, Ida's like, you guys need to feel your separation. And even, I think he calls Midoriya Mr. House Arrest at one point. Yeah, he does. He just uh, calls him House Arrest. So Midoriya gathers up all this trash in the very end of the episode, he's taking it to presumably some dumpster somewhere. And then there's just this face like sticking out of the wall and uh, it like addresses Midoriya. He's like, Oh, you're taking the trash or you could put this stuff in with that stuff. And then it disappears, like sucks back into the wall and then pops back up between like Midoriya's feet on the ground. And Midoriya is like tripping out. Um, and again, he's just, it's this guy who we, we come to find out his name is Mirio Togeda. And he's just like, well, you know, people are talking about you. So I thought I'd come to see who you were. Um, and it, it just like unnerves Midoriya. But it's a kind of a pretty neat introduction scene for this guy who becomes a much bigger deal in yeah. the next episode. I thought it was really funny. I liked it. In fact, it was interesting. I saw a post on Reddit earlier today and someone had taken like a steel trash can and they had gotten the sticker of uh, Togata's face and put it on this trash can and, and it had like a little quote that just said, oh, it's trash time. I <laughs> saw the same thing today. I, I thought that was so cool. I was like, I want this now. <laughs> I almost shared it on the Twitter. I came really I did close, too. but I yeah. just shared the one where, um, where Coda punches Mineta off of the wall between the two baths. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I think the caption for that particular picture was something like, let's not forget who the real hero of this show is. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it's pretty That's great. great. Well, we finally get a uh, quick fast forward. Uh, Midoriya's back in class. He apologizes to everybody. Uh, and this is when Aizawa brings in a few third years at UA. Uh, and he is explaining that they actually rank at the top of the student body. They're known as the big three. And uh, one of them is Togata from earlier in the episode. Yeah, and then there's Nejiri Hato and Tamaki Yamajiki. Um, and we don't really know much or get to know much about the other two in this episode, but we get to know and see an awful lot of Mirio Togata in this episode. Yeah, the episode 63 is great. Uh, it starts off with the three third years just introducing themselves. Um, I've got that the goth elf guy is totally nervous, while Hato the girl is just asking a million questions. Like, they're exact opposites of each other. Yeah. Uh, she's a social butterfly, and he wants nothing to do with anybody. I like how Mineta, as soon as uh, Najire walks into the room, he's just like, target acquired. Like, he's just yeah. got himself a new, a new bay. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like she even asked, like, she's asking a bunch of questions, and oh, all of a sudden Lord. she just asked Mineta about his balls. Yep. <laughs> and of course, he's like, well, I'll share those with you. Yep, and, and she's, he, Mineta's like, she wants to know about my balls, and somebody yeah. else somebody else was like, isn't that harassment? Or maybe it was Mineta who said that, but everybody else was clearly like, she wants to know about your quirk, not about your actual gonads, you creep. Yeah, I have in quotes. I don't know who said it, but it's someone's quoted saying, uh, their strangeness is just palpable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then there's this pa like plastic looking guy, Mirio, 
who is kind of analyzing the situation and he's he's just trying to figure out what to do from here because he kind of feels like everything is totally off course. And he's just like, all right, you know, you guys want to know about work studies? How about you guys fight all of me? How about all of you fight me at once? And that then you'll just know all about work studies. Even Amajiki is, is saying that people probably wouldn't recover from a fight with Togata. Uh, and Hato actually kind of makes a weird comment here. She says that there was a time when students stopped trying to be heroes. And I, I don't know what in relation this was to the fight. I just have it in my notes immediately after this. And she was saying, you know, that there was a time when students stopped trying to be a hero and it was a bad time for everyone. And it made me wonder, we've mentioned several times what it would be like if someone at UA had dropped out and become a villain. And, you know, we had the character earlier in season three, which was uh, mustard, I think that was clearly a student. So it makes me wonder if there is, you know, several students that have turned villainous that maybe were in upper classes. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. I don't I don't recall that that phrase. Um, but I'm looking in the manga now, and it says, "Listen to this." There was once a kid who got discouraged, quit trying to be a hero, and called all sorts caused all sorts of trouble. Is real bad. So you'd better think about this hard, Togeda. There's going to be pain, true blue pain. And I assume that's what you're talking about. I don't recall yeah, okay. hearing that at all. <laughs> so that must be where it's coming from, because they're warning him, like if you fight these kids and you discourage them, then yeah. you know they might turn. Because uh, I was like, I, I'm reading my notes here, and I'm like super sleep deprived. So you know, none of them are making any sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's interesting. I, I just maybe wonder if we are going to find out more about maybe past students in the next coming season. That would be pretty neat. I mean, we're we're learning now. We're we're being introduced to older students, and in the last few episodes of ours, we've met a lot of students from other schools, and so we're being exposed to a lot more of the heroes in potential. All these people who are at some at some point in the process of acquiring their official pro heroes license. Yeah. Um, and I do like that. I mean, it just, it, it broadens the, the range of quirks that we see. It opens up new possibilities for the ones that we're already familiar with, like with um, like what we saw with Yarashi and Todoroki, like cool new combo moves that we wouldn't have seen if all we did was follow around class one, a all the time. And totally. so it's always neat. It's neat. Yeah. It is neat, and it's it's really cool getting to see heroes, well, not even like heroes, but students that are more advanced than our students, right? Because we see them all the time. We kind of had that as the standard, and, and Class 1A is the exception, really, uh, but from our perspectives, they're not, because that's what we've been following. So to see other students that have excelled past them is really cool. Yeah, and not even like they're a little bit ahead of us. Like, Mirio is very confident in his ability, and we're going to talk about that more in just a second so he's just like listen whenever you guys are ready to go let's do this and so midoriya is like i'll go first and <laughs> mirio calls him the problem child he's like ah the problem child yeah um, which made me laugh a little bit yeah and so mirio's getting prepped and the first thing that happens is his clothes fall off <laughs> like everyone's going to attack him uh, but because his clothes completely fall off i think they're just totally shocked and and midoriya's kick just goes right through him so you know, like people are like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden everyone else's attacks start going right through him. Uh, and then he just like pops up behind everybody else and just totally wrecks them while screaming power. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Not, not power. It's like power with that, like <laughs> exactly. dragged on end. Yeah, My favorite awesome. part about this entire scene. A lot of people I've, I've uh, talked to about the show loves him just yelling power when he's like whooping their butts. But my favorite part, hands down is that when his clothes fall off, the first reaction that we get is from Jiro, who, yeah. is, who is always the first person to react when Momo starts flashing her goods around. And Jiro's also the first one that uh, 
that Mirio takes out. Like he goes to the back line and gets her first. <laughs> so <laughs> not only is she shocked at his nudity from a distance, all of a sudden it's like right up in her space and she yeah. gets punched in the gut. So does everybody. Everybody gets punched in the gut in this scene in the matter oh, of man, like, yeah. it was strange because in the manga, I'm looking back at this thing now because there were panels where it looked like they, they were like seconds, like, like there was a timer. So there's like, when he pops up behind Jiro, it's at one second. And then when he takes out like Tokoyami and a couple of the others, it's 38 seconds. And it, I think if, if that is true, it only took him like, it either took him five minutes and 52 seconds, or it took him five seconds and 52 milliseconds to just out everybody in one A. It wouldn't, it seemed like it was with under like 10 seconds whenever I yeah. watched it. So I'm thinking yeah. it's gotta be seconds and millis. Yeah. It, so it must be six I mean, seconds was, and he takes out 20 people. Well, nine, it, 19-ish, 18. Oh, yeah. It was incredible. I mean, like, he is super quick, and he very clearly has great control over his power. Uh, and even Aizawa says that, in his opinion, he's the closest student or person to taking the number one hero spot, including the pros. Uh, and he's telling Todoroki this, I think. I don't think it was internal monologue. Yeah, he's talking he, to Todoroki. Yeah, because he immediately follows it up with, like, hey, don't you want to try and fight him? And Todoroki's like, nah, man. No way. Like, he didn't even want to bother with it. Yeah, in the uh, manga, it actually looks like Aizawa is just yelling that at the entire class. Like he's just yelling really loudly with his hands over his mouth when he says that. Oh, wow. Well, it's interesting because the students, whenever they're like all laying on the ground, one of them says that uh, Togata is unrivaled. And Amajiki just replies back with, well, that shows you what level you're at. Because an average person is able to see that a pro is great, but doesn't understand why. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, he's realizing like these kids just see that this guy is kicking their butts, but has no understanding of how or why. Like that's they're inexperienced, even though they have been exposed to so much already. Um, and you know, Midoriya comes up with a plan at the last second to try and get Mirio, but Mirio has practiced against people with plans, man. Like he was able to pull off an ultimate move in the last second and pretends to poke Midoriya's yes. eyes out. So it was genius. so great. So yeah, genius. And so Midoriya flinches like anybody would, and Mirio totally knocks him out. Yeah, he plays on our reflex that when something approaches our eyeballs, we are going to reflexively close them. And so he calls it the super move blind eyeball touch. And he's phasing through Midoriya this whole time. There's no immediate or real danger to Midoriya's eyes, but it doesn't matter because your body is going to reflexively respond by closing your eyes. And as soon as Midoriya does, that's when uh, Mirio finishes him off. And I, I just have in, in uh, parentheses after the super the blind eyeball touch, I was just like, that is so stinking smart. That is so smart. Like that is cool application of that power. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely really neat. And it makes me wonder, you know, they make a mention about how he actually used to be like one of the lowest in the class as far as grades go and, and you know, his applications of his quirk. And I'm wondering if he learned how to do that on his own, because he, he talks about how he had to work really hard to get accurate at, at handling it. Or if he had to work with other people that, you know, maybe were close to his quirk, kind of like how we saw the super move uh, training session a couple of episodes back mm -hmm. with Miss Midnight and all them. I just wonder if they found somebody for him that had similar quirks. Um, and before we explain his quirk, I got to say it was really funny because once he is done beating up on everybody, he's like putting his clothes back on and he just says, well, I tried to make it so you wouldn't see my willy. Yeah. And he's like apologizing for that. I thought that was so funny. It's only funny to me because he uses the word willy for some reason. Exactly. Like if it's he had so just unexpected. been like, if he had used like any kind of like other more vulgar or even like medically accurate terminology, it wouldn't have been funny. But because he uses the word willy, it just made me laugh. 
Yeah, same here. Same here. I have in my notes, too, that I think Mirio and Momo would be the ultimate power couple because between the two of them, they have zero shame and they would just constantly be flashing people their bits all the time. Like, <laughs> it would be how very are distracting they... to fight them. Yeah, they're made for one another as far as I'm concerned. That's funny. Well, Hado actually ends up explaining that his power is permeation and he only has one power because we think that the kids have figured it out that he's got multiple quirks, you know, that he's got like this phasing quirk and like a teleportation quirk or something. And they actually explain that it's just permeation. He can pass his entire body through anything with his quirk. Uh, but it's really difficult because what's really happening is that when he is using his quirk, he just falls through like any kind of space. Like he falls through atoms. He's phasing through them kind of. And then whenever he turns it off, it repels him upwards if he's in the ground, I guess, or like out the side if he was in a building. And he uses that momentum to get where he needs to go. And apparently when his quirk is activated, he can't breathe, hear, or see. So he is like completely debilitated whenever he's using his quirk. Yeah, which I thought was a pretty good balancing agent for for that. Like it makes a lot of physical sense, like in, in the term of physics meaning, or physic, physical applying to physics itself. That literally everything passes through him, including yeah. light. I like well, that. This is another example of where the quirks are explained by science. And I think we've had that ex- done several times with several different heroes. And I always really like that because they don't just have powers for power's sake. You know what I mean? Like there is some sort of level of they their quirks have rules that have to be followed and met. And I like that. They apply to the real physical world. I like, too, that um, I think Mina is just like, after she hears his explanation, she's like, that sounds like a really buggy video game. And yeah. he's just like, it totally is like that. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty well, good, he too. explains how he has to, like, step through walls, and it sounds kind of like a really buggy loading video game, you know? Like, phasing one little bit in at a time and slowly phasing in the rest one after the other. It was, I mean... It kind of sounds like a loading screen to me. Yeah, and the, it's very cool. Like, they they visually depict that particular explanation. And, and he's talking about how difficult it was for him to have the coordination necessary to phase parts of his body while others weren't phasing. And um, when when this episode goes live, I'll just share the picture, that panel. And, it, and he's talking about how this is what kind of mastery I have to have in order to be even remotely effective with this, with this, um, particular quirk. And so, and he's at that point, he's just talking about phasing through a wall, not sending himself below ground and then springing up out of it because of the side effects of matter, not being able to share the same space. And so it's very cool. I, I am curious in the anime, I don't see it in the manga, but in the anime, I swear he's got like scars on his body. Did you notice that? Like he's got scars yeah. on his arms and stuff. I'm curious if, if that is like, you know, evidence of some failure. Sometimes that he didn't do things right or something. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Cause if you think about that, I mean that the risk involved in trying to phase through a wall, the way he was explaining sounds super dangerous. Cause if you mess up or lose concentration, I mean, imagine like being in your dorm and trying to focus on, on trying to phase through this building, like one atom at a time and someone knocks on the door. And then all of a sudden you you lose your concentration when you're not good at this yet. And your arm is phased halfway through a building or halfway through a wall or something. I mean, there's a lot that could go wrong here, it seemed, sounded like. Yeah. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I get the feeling he had some scars from some failed attempts, man. Yeah, his, his power is very Kitty Pride-like, but it definitely has some different like nuances to it that Kitty Pride's, I don't think ever did or or was explained in such a way like like yeah i mean the whole idea that like matter repels matter that's not something that has really ever applied to kitty pride Mm -mm. 
Well, and the other thing I was thinking about, he talks about how he can't breathe. I wonder if he's had to train his lungs to hold air or if he just, like, whenever he phases, if all of the air is expelled from his body and he has a limited amount of time, like, I can't make my lungs any better. I can't practice holding my breath because I don't, I can't hold my breath. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know I have a set limit of time before I will have brain damage. I think that the way that it works is anything that is genetically his phases. And air would not fall into that category. So okay. it, it, it just is expelled or, or leaks out of him when he does phase. That's how I was thinking about it anyway. So it's not like he can practice holding his breath. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. has a pretty limited amount of time for him to be in a phase state. Right. Yeah, man, that seems like he could be dangerous. I wonder if he can get trapped. Like if there is a certain type of material he couldn't phase through, you know what I mean? Like a kryptonite of some kind. If he was to get stuck under it somehow, if he would just be stuck like in matter, that would suck. Yeah. Or if, it, or if there's materials that are like more difficult to him to phase, for him to phase through. Oh, like I wonder if he could phase through Todoroki's ice easily. You know I, what I mean? Because it would be so cold. I wonder if the, if the atoms wouldn't break apart as easily or something. Yeah, I don't know. I, I imagine we're going to see a lot, quite a lot of that guy's quirk in the not I hope too so. not too distant future. He seems. Yeah, I hope so. They, they're making a big enough deal of him now, and it's hard to stay one hundred percent spoiler free with my hero stuff just visually. So I've seen pictures of this guy on Facebook before, and I'm like, well, we haven't met him. I don't know what he does. But the very fact that I've seen those pictures before lend like leads me to believe that like he's not. He's not here just to show them what the works, what benefits the work study program could be for them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's not, he's not just going to be in this episode. Right. And you know, I kind of get that feeling too, but I didn't get that feeling about the other two uh, students because I don't feel like I've either seen or heard of them before, but I've heard of Togata's name before, like just yeah. poking around on Reddit or accidentally stumbling across it in a, my hero discord. I've seen that picture, his picture, and I've seen that face and, and have seen his name several times. The others I haven't. So I'm kind of interested in seeing how evolved he's going to be. Yeah, his face too. You had called it plastic earlier. And that's a, I think that's a good descriptor. His face is almost like, it looks like it's painted on. He looks like a blonde Astro Boy. If yeah. you ever watched Astro yeah. Boy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. His, it's, I think it's his eyes in particular. Like they, is. there isn't, there isn't a, a line delineating his eyeball from, you know, from, like his eye socket or anything like that. They're, it's just like all pupil looking or yeah. Yeah. It's just like one big round eye. And I, you know, I, it's been a while since I think I've seen a picture of him, but I feel like he doesn't have eyebrows. He does. He does. Okay. Yep. He does. And he does have oh, that like mind. Astro boy kind of flared blonde hair at the front. Yeah. I don't know. He just looked like a big Astro boy to me. Yeah. I went, well, you know, I hadn't checked the wiki on him. I wonder if, if part of the trivia will be that he's, you know, somehow inspired um, aesthetically by Astro Boy. That'd be kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, he goes on to explain uh, a little bit about work studies. Uh, the big thing to take from him, it sounds like, is that uh, unlike uh, the previous, you know, what, what were they called? They weren't studies. They were... Uh, internships. Internships. Thank you. Uh, unlike the previous internships, they are going to be considered like sidekicks. They're, they're not just a guest trying to learn. They are there to work alongside these heroes. So it sounds like it's kind of like the internship unchained. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and he even tells Midoriya, or I don't think he tells Midoriya this. I think he's talking to the other two students that are with him. Uh, and he tells him that Midoriya actually did surprise him because like within round one, he was able to analyze his moves and figure out a strategy because he was talking about how 
the majority of his strategy is just the element of surprise. And the moment someone figures that out, then he's kind of, you know, SOL. Like I, he has a little bit more to it because he can surprise them back. But, you know, if, if someone is able to figure that out round one, like Midoriya did, he's going to be in a world of hurt pretty quick. Yeah. Mirio is, he's impressive. I mean, he, it's not, I, I have in my notes that I really like that Mirio isn't coasting on power alone. Like, well, yeah, his part of what makes him impressive is certainly his his uh, personality. Yeah, and it's just his work ethic that he describes here at the end of this episode. He's because even the other two big three are like his quirk isn't that great, but he's figured out how to make it amazing, um, and he's put in all this time. So it's not necessarily that the strongest quirk rises to the top. Um, so it, it's it's just neat to see kind of like a a guy who is a total bootstrapper. You know what I mean? Like, didn't just come to UA with this amazing, amazingly powerful quirk and grow from there. He came here with something that he was just like, eh, it's okay. And he applied himself to it to a point where he's top three in the in the school and that he was one that, you know, that, you know, is is just in causing an entire class of first years, some of whom are extremely powerful to stand in awe and, and even call him a liar when he says he only has one quirk. Um, so he, he's a bootstrapper, man. He has picked himself up by his own bootstraps and said, I'm going to make the best of this. Let's go put in all this work. Um, and, and that's why he is where he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely an impressive character and someone for all of these students of one, a to look up to over the next season. I think, I think so. Well, we go back to the uh, the the main dorms here, and we get this fun scene where Bakugo is collecting trash, uh, and the students are talking about whether or not you know they're going to be allowed to do this work study because it's been explained to us that the faculty actually hasn't decided on if they're going to let the students do the work study. So we don't even know if that's what they're going to be getting into this next season. Uh, but Midoriya calls up Gran Torino to see if he can, you know, do the study with him. He's like, I don't really know anybody else. And Gran Torino, he cracks me up, man, because he calls Midoriya. He's like, oh, yeah, you're that useless successor that failed at the festival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Way to support Midoriya here, man. Uh, and he actually recommends Midoriya reach out to All Might and see if he will introduce him to All Might's old sidekick, who I didn't, I guess I hadn't even realized that All Might had sidekicks. He didn't seem like someone that needed them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we kind of had David Shield lifted up as one. Yeah, but I didn't consider him a sidekick as much as he was like a like a support guy. Like he he was making the tech. Like I don't know that I. I guess that's a sidekick. I mean, he was out in the field with him at least the time that we saw them in the movie. I mean, that's all we've seen. Like I think sidekick is your your that's field work stuff. Support guy is like Alfred from Batman. You know, well, see, and that's kind of how I saw David was more like an Alfred because he didn't have a quirk. Yeah, I guess he's just real genius, but I don't know. I thought I kind of had it in my mind that he was kind of all might sidekick a little bit. I don't but. know. Do, do you watch uh, do you watch the Flash series? No. OK, so there's a character in the Flash series that does not have a, a meta human ability, but he's like a scientist that helps him with things. Uh, it's Harrison Wells. So I consider him like a support guy, but he's not a sidekick because he's not out there using a quirk or like a meta human ability to fight the bad guy. He's using tech and stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. But I guess at the same time, like uh, what's his name? The the robot guy from Justice League. Why am I blinking? 
uh, cyborg. cyborg. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally his name is his power. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how I forgot that one. Uh, but cyborg, I would consider him a sidekick and he's technically just using tech. So whatever, Who, yeah. you know, I mean, like to me. if you're a big Batman guy, wasn't, uh, Barbara Gordon, when she gets in, isn't she the one that ends up in a wheelchair and goes yeah, by she Oracle for a, a while? Oracle. Yeah. Yeah. Sidekick. I would consider her. She went from sidekick to support. Okay. Okay. I follow you. Well, we'll, we'll have to see who this sidekick person is. Cause we don't, I mean, in my notes, I just said, who is all my sidekick? But I had put a yeah. question mark on it, too. But, I, and, but the more I thought about it, I was like, I mean, the only one I could think of that we have any indication of would be the Shields guy. But Midoriya would be able to get in touch with him more directly, I think, than yeah. whoever it is that he's trying to fish up here. Definitely, because at this point, the movie is canon and has taken place. So he's Correct. already met him. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, we move on to this next scene, um, and it's kind of weird so someone has shows up to talk to who I believe is best genist. Um, it looked like best genist out of his costume. Like he's just hanging out at work. Um, and they have a bunch of info on what they call overhaul, who is the head of the Shia Hasaki. Uh, so we, we don't have a lot of information on this, but it, it shows twice leading that doctor, the plague doctor guy back to the league of villains. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, the, the lady that runs in, um, she just says that overhaul is on the move. And we know, I mean, just because of the way that they presented this, that, I mean, we know twice is an overhaul, but the way that they transitioned from that to those two people moving made me think that maybe this dude with the beak is, is that his name is overhaul. That's what I assumed. Cause the way that I've got my notes is that, that they have info on overhaul, who is the head of the Shia Hasaki. So I assumed that the Shia Hasaki was like a league of villains esque group or like i'd assume that was the group of the plague doctor villains in the last episode yeah and that overhaul is the main guy and he's the head of that small group of guys or small group of villains see i never even heard of the hisaki whatever thing that you were saying i don't recall that seeing that in the anime or and it's not in the manga at this point I, see it i've got the subtitles turned on and so um, i i just caught it because of the subtitles gotcha uh, but yeah, so we've got Twice, who's leading this Plague Doctor guy, who I guess is named Overhaul, into some sort of base. Uh, and he's introducing him to everybody at the League of Villains. Um, and it looks like he's trying to just recruit some folks. So there, I mean, here we are again with Shigaraki just building up his forces for this next season, man. Recruitment continues. Yeah. I've got in quotations the successors, and I don't know if that's what I wanted to name this episode, or if that's just what was the name of the title of this episode that we watched. Oh, no, there's, there's a monologue thing. I think it's Midoriya speaking. I, I think I dictated it somewhat close, but the end of this episode is like a voiceover of what we were just talking about seeing. And he says, just as we were one step closer to being heroes, malice also continued to move forward in the darkness. The one who was entrusted to be the successor and the one who was entrusted and released into the wild would meet in the not too distant future. That's that. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like we've got Midoriya and, and Shigaraki lining up to, to go to bat this next season, man. And I wonder if they're really going to like have the big showdown this coming season, or if it's going to be a season of buildup and then season five will be the one where it's like, all right, all these, you know, forces are going to go head to head. You mean the school with the growing league of villains again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's I I don't feel like I want to rush into season four as quickly as I did. Like you remember at the end of season two, we were like, We have to get to season three like right, right now. We had to we yeah. had to been there yesterday. You know, the end of that season was just so high octane that we were like, We gotta oh, do this was. thing next. 
Um, I don't get that at the end of season three. Um, but yeah. you know, it's not like I'm not going to go watch season four. Everybody is super hyped about it. Um, oh yeah. Well, that's the thing though, is like if, if you and I had been watching this as it aired and this was the season finale, I'd be like, okay, it'll come out whenever, you know, like yeah. I, like it would probably hit the back burner for me, honestly. Uh, this season finale did, it didn't feel like a season finale. It just felt like another episode. Like I, I expected an, another episode right after this. You know what I mean? Right. And we have like in the manga, this, this, here the anime breaks like smack dab in the middle of volume 14 so like i stopped reading i hadn't read the back end but there's probably at least enough content here for an in episode or possibly the next two Um, wow so well volume 14 and they're already getting to season four content i will say i'm excited that season four is out i mean at this point you know we've already said we've got two episodes to watch Luckily, you know, the streaming platforms we're on are picking them up almost the next day after they've released to the public. Right. Uh, so, you know, we've got two episodes to look forward to already. So that's cool. Yep. I'm, I'm excited. Glad, I'm glad that we're not having to wait for the, I think it was like a year and a half in between season three and four. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah. So I'm glad it, we don't have to wait, but I don't think it would have been a big deal if we did. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it gave us the time that we needed to catch up. And if we had been just like, on a whole other level, as far as planning is, was concerned, we might have started the Almighty Podcast a little earlier to try to be right in tune with season four, but we just weren't thinking that far out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we yeah. were just like, let's just give it a shot and see how it goes. So, yeah, the fact that we're still here—I mean, this is episode thirty-one. That's incredible, man. Yep, it's been fun the whole time, and it's—it still feels like the audience is growing. And the community, certainly, that the interaction that we're getting on Twitter and the Discord is certainly still still going strong. So, you know, we're, we're going to keep doing it. And, and Adam and I had decided even before the, well, maybe not before the first episode, but after we had done a couple of episodes, we were like, eh, even if people don't listen, let's, let's still call and chit-chat about this stuff because it's fun. Yeah, yeah, I still love talking about this every week. Uh, but man, I think that wraps us up for the season three finale. It uh, does. See you next week for season four. I'm we, stoked for it. I'm excited. We're, we're almost caught up. We're almost caught up. So that's going to be an exciting time. I still think that there are people that are in our community spaces that are have read all of the manga that is out and are even further ahead of us. And I don't know that we'll ever be those people that you know read out outpace the anime by what we read in the manga i'm still going to read along with but uh, at least now i think the larger cultural conversations were so close to being in lockstep with and i think that's going to be interesting and new so something to look forward to definitely definitely well and you know the other thing to look forward to is a new season opening and ending i always love seeing (laughs) the new openers you know i think that's fun i that was never going to cross my mind. I'm probably <laughs> still going to skip them. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I will see you next week for season four. Looking forward to it, man. And uh, we'll talk to all you folks next week as well. See you guys. brought to you by the back patio network you can follow us on twitter at almighty pod or follow at back patio net for all network news 
If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.